Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octo non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Jay Frugio is the host of the Monster Top 20 Fitness Podcast on Apple, Renegade Radio Podcast with over 6 million downloads and 1,200 five-star reviews. Now, Jay has been helping guys get jacked and become the strongest version of themselves since 1994. Nobody has trained more skinny guys than he has, and he still does. He is relentlessly obsessed, and for the last 25 years, his quest is to be the best in the world at what he does, and he absolutely is. He is the coach to coaches, the trainer to trainers. He is the one that everybody comes to when they want to learn new things and they want to revamp their techniques. Unlike most of today's influencers, and I'm using rock and roll air quotes in in the air right now, Jay's approach is based on thousands of hours of real-world experience working with countless real clients. You may have seen his work in men's health, muscle and fitness, maximum fitness, men's fitness, entrepreneur details, or on ESPN or CBS. It's crazy because you know the training groups that they have today, all the big groups? Well, Jay literally invented that back in the 90s. Training like an athlete, flipping tires, dragging sleds, pulling presses, using rings. Jay's been doing that for 20 plus years with his clients, long before it was popular on TV or in infomercials. Jay knows from experience that Thoreau, Da Vinci, and Bruce Lee were right. Simplicity is the key to health, wealth, and happiness. Jay, thank you so much for being here. I put a long string on that kite, but I wanted to let people know what you're about and that you're not some guy that just created a website or a blog that's getting some traction all of a sudden. You've been doing this for a long time and you like Tony Blower. You've literally learned and forgotten more about this material than most people are learning now that are trying to practice it. So thanks for being on. Hey, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the intro. I don't know if I could live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I met you in 2018 in San Diego or San Francisco. I saw you at a podcasting event and I believe that you and I are one of the five people in that room that actually was really working out, really trying to work on mobility and improving ourselves as opposed to trying to uh, do other things there. But then I had the honor of actually connecting with you recently at Tony Blower's event where I was speaking. And uh, man, it was just so good to get to spend time with you and Tony and have dinner and yeah. really get to see what you're about. And like I said, you're the real deal. So thanks for being on. Thanks, brother. Are you wearing one of Tony's shirts right now? You bet your ass I am. Oh, Come on nice. now. Hell yeah. Got to represent. Yeah. Yep. Nice. It's the truth, man. He's He's incredible. And you've known Tony for a while too. Did you meet you met him in LA for a while? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We just hit it off and uh, love that guy. Just incredible. We spoke until long into the night. You and I were both kind of tired at that point. It was like, man, it's midnight and we're still yeah. going. It's like, we got to get up early in the morning. So it was incredible. And Tony is one of those guys. Again, he's very real. He's been almost a hero of mine since I was growing up because as I said, when I spoke, it's like he cut through all the bullshit. There's a lot of mysticism around martial arts. So it's almost like a religion. And he just was whacking all the sacred cows. He's like, I don't care what you do. If you can't survive the startle reflex, you're not going to make it. And I was like, okay, you got my attention. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, he's the best at what he does. I, I love a guy. I'm always inspired by Tony because he's done one thing for 40, 42 years, such a high level of mastery. It's always inspirational. And then just personally, I mean, he's funny as could be. He's just fun to be around. He's just such a genuinely nice, caring guy. Yeah, it's incredible. And that's why I think, uh, again, I think like recognizes like, you know, game recognizes game. So that's why you guys get along. That's why you and I get along because that's what it is. We're in this pursuit. We're not trying to chase everything else or the shiny stuff. Like I said, the way that you were training, especially back in the 90s, was revolutionary. And a lot of people didn't see what that took. When I first started training, it was almost like when you said when you first started training when you were younger, it was about volume. It was about as many sets as you can do, you know, every day of the week, no rest days. But what do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to training these days, especially people that are first getting started? Oh, I mean, there's a zillion, you know, you know this could be all day. But um, I, I do yeah. think what you mentioned there, people still probably tend to do too much volume, not enough intensity, but probably don't train hard enough. They just do so much. And, and maybe they do train too hard. You know, it depends what you're doing, because that is kind of a popular trendy thing to do, you know, have all your workouts be a Rocky training montage, which I'm not against training hard. I think you should train hard, but you have to weigh all the other stressors in your life. So training is just a stressor. So if you don't sleep well, that's a stressor. If you are caffeinated all day, that's a stressor. If you have, you know, just basic stress at work or with your relationships, whatever, all those things add up and your cortisol and your adrenaline goes up and, you know, the the stress hormones are kind of it sounds crazy, but like those are the things that eventually can give you cancer and long-term illnesses. So not that training is going to do that. Tra- training is one of the best things you could do, but if you overdo it, which a lot of people do, it's not the best thing either. So I think just, you know, what's, what's the minimum effective dose, right? Like you, you in the intro, you talked about 80, 20, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I think first we need to look at what's the minimum effective dose. Like if I said, Hey, you can make an extra hundred grand this year. And option A is you can do it by working an extra four hours a week. Or option B is you can do it by working an extra 16 hours a week. You're going to take option A, you know? Or if you want to play the guitar, you could play like Jimi Hendrix in four hours or six. Like you're always going to choose. So choose less. Choose to do less. And then only add more when you need to add more. Don't add more because your favorite CrossFitter or bodybuilder or whatever is doing so much. Like be realistic. See what works for your schedule. And then assess from there. Like, okay, if you're not getting anywhere. Maybe you do need to do more, but before you do more, make sure your sleep's in check, make sure your nutrition's in check, make sure your stress is in check, stress management, you know, because those things will, will kill your results. You can have the perfect pro, you actually have the perfect program and the perfect diet, but your results will still not be great. If your stress levels are off the char- charts and you're not sleeping well, it's all those things kind of play together that you need to think, which I don't think a lot of people really consider. Yeah, they don't connect all the dots. And like you said, it comes back to that, uh, almost you're, you're just essentially saying quality over quantity. If you can only do two sets of any kind of movement that forces you to really focus, give everything you have. You don't subconsciously hold back. When I went from doing volume stuff to kind of the Mike Mentor type stuff, where again, it was very, you have one set and you only get one set this week to do it. It's like, man, you gave everything. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, how much was I holding back before? How much was I under indexing before? And then like you said, you take that and you apply it with your entire life. So whether it be a relationship, whether it be creating a tribe, whether it be interacting with anybody, you try to find that quality ideal as opposed to saying no more is better. Quality has a quantity all of its own if you do it correctly. Totally. Yeah. Like, I mean, for example, today, like right now, until the second week in October and, and going back a few weeks, probably the busiest I've been in years. And I have so much going on and there's no way I'm, I'm going to skip training. But it was, you know, like I had probably 50 minutes between what I just finished and us starting this podcast. 
And I went into the garage and in 45, I, I left myself five minutes to eat a post, post-workout meal before we jumped on here. In 45 minutes, I got my warm-up done, got my whole workout done, had a great workout, and, and now we're back to the grind. Like, it doesn't have to be this all, you know, this time-consuming thing. You don't have to spend your life in the gym. And 45 minutes is plenty. And you know what's funny is, as I've gotten older, I actually like to train a little bit more than I used to. Like, I, I, so there was years where I only trained three days a week, and those were longer workouts. Now I like getting like a 30 to 45-minute workout five days a week. And I think from a habit perspective, for some people, that, that makes sense too, you know? I agree. It's something they can put into their schedule yeah. all the way through the week. And now they set it up. And then yep. if they want to do something light to recover on the weekend, even they can. Totally. Yeah. But that sets them up. Yeah. I, I like doing something seven days a week. You know, that, that's really, I mean, if you're going to build a habit, I think seven days a week makes sense. So like when I work with people, I want them to check a box seven days a week that you train. It's not training like a savage every day, but maybe you're lifting five days, doing two days of cardio or one day you're just getting 10,000 steps going for a hike or surfing. Like you got to do something, you know? Yeah. And being outside is key, right? If we can do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. You said you had just had a recent uh, excursion on your own and that was kind of tremendous because that gave you the opportunity to really recharge and reset. A lot of people don't understand that the reason why Bruce Lee was able to hit with the one inch punch so powerfully was because he was able to relax completely Mm, into that plate of stillness and then explode. Yeah. And a lot of times before we hit record, we were talking about how you and I grew up before the internet and before cell phones. So that kind of takes us back to that place where we can actually find that true, you know, ground zero, so to speak. But for a lot of people, especially younger people, they may never experience that. So it's it's really important to get that. Super important. Yeah. I, ideal scenario, I would do it way more frequently. I mean, I guess just due to the state of the world, I haven't done it in so long. But And it's funny because for most of my life, up until just a few years ago, I was a city guy. Like, I need to be near the action. I want to be doing stuff all the time. And man, I could move to Montana tomorrow and be totally fine. You know? I don't know. Part of that's just getting older. You, you appreciate it. You understand how valuable it is, you know? And uh, I think especially for somebody like myself, who from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, like I'm like Randy Savage, like I'm amped off all the time, you know? So I need that. I need to unplug and kind of calm down a little and get out there in nature. And, and you do, like you calm down. It's funny because like by day two or three, I go, oh, this is how you're supposed to feel. I don't have that level of anxiety and that level of like aggression, which I do like that. I don't like having a, a high level of anxiety. But I like being aggressive and amped up and tackling the day and dominating, doing shit like that's just that's my East Coast kind of personality. You know, it's in my DNA. But it's not healthy to be like that twenty four seven, you know, at all. So having that balance is really important. Well, like you said, it's not sustainable. No, uh-uh. it comes back to that idea of volume, right? So if you can take that savageness and attack four hours of your day, you get a lot more done in that amount of time. And that's why I love that you talk about the eighty twenty as well. It it's interesting. A lot of people know about eighty twenty or they've heard about it, but are they actually applying it? Are they relentlessly applying it to their relationships, their diet, their their sleep, their recovery? And you were talking also when we were down there, we had dinner and <laughs> Tony put his phone down and got that picture of all of us. And he was like, your circle's important. But I think that people underestimate how powerful, how important your circle is, whether it be a brotherhood, whether it be a tribe. And there's a lot of people that are in this journey now where they're trying to better themselves and they're going to have people around them that are going to hold on to them and try to pull them back and stop them from elevating and going to these other levels. What would be the advice that you would give somebody who's trying to get away from those kind of individuals in their life, that feeling of guilt, that limiting belief that, no, these are the people that I know are my family. How do I get above this without them thinking I'm too good for them or what I'm doing is insane, whatever the, the notion may be. Totally. I mean, who you surround yourself with is everything. Like your inner circle is everything. It impacts every aspect of your life. Like 
your fitness, your health, your mindset, your business all gets better if your tribe and your crew and your inner circle are people who are, you know, A plus players and living at that level, you know, executing, living life the way you want, doing the things you want, the way they treat people. Like you just learn by osmosis from being around those people, the way they speak, their body language, everything. You're always soaking that up when you're around those people. Even something as simple as the way they take a compliment or, you know, the, anything like you're always observing and learning when you're around those people. And by the same token, you're always learning and uh, adopting the behaviors of people who are not at that level, that are at the complete opposite level. Like if you're around negative people, you'll start to complain more. You'll start to gossip more. You'll start to look at the world with more of a negative viewpoint, more of a glasses half empty. And, and to those people, and I, I get it because I've talked to you know countless guys and I dealt with it myself. Like, oh, well, this, this person shares my last name or I've known this person since high school or college or whatever it is. But you don't owe anyone anything. You really owe yourself, your future self, and, and the people closest to you. That's who you owe. You don't have to be a dick about it, but a slowly over time, you can kind of get yourself out of those circles and get away from those people. You don't even have to tell them why. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody to tell them why. You have to seek out the people you want. And here's the thing. like You can't just walk out your front door or they're not going to come knocking at your door and be like, hey, I'm an awesome person. You should come hang out with me. We should be friends. You have to seek those people out. And the best way to do it, honestly, is to go to events. You know, that's how you and I met. I think it's really important to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, go where you don't know a bunch of people. But if you go to an event where somebody's paying money to learn something, grow in some way, better themselves in some way, you know that those are like-minded people. Those are the kind of people you want to be around. So you have to do that. I mean, you could do it on a regular daily, weekly basis. You know, again, the state of the world's a little different now, but you could always go on meetup.com or just, you know, you should do that. Get out of your comfort zone, find people locally. Now, nowadays in, this, in 2021, I think you do need that tribe locally and you should be cultivating that all the time. But going to events is going to be the best way that you're guaranteed to be around those kind of like-minded people. So you got to invest in yourself. You got to, you know, get on the flight, do whatever it is, get out of your comfort zone. And then what happens is re- it's a really cool thing. And I experienced this firsthand. And I've seen so many guys in our program and just friends of mine, whatever. What happens is all of a sudden you start to see all the weaknesses and the places that you make excuses in your life because you're like, oh, none of those guys say those things. They don't do those things that I used to do. And so it holds up a mirror to you. So you stop doing it. But now you also start to notice all of your other friends and family members who do do that. And you're like, oh, that's not normal. We, we, we just always shit talk people or we always complain or we always have this attitude. That's really not what I want to be. And you didn't even know it. You may not have known it for 38 years or whatever. But now all of a sudden, you know it. And you realize, oh, I don't want to do that. So slowly, you just start to say, oh, you know what? I, I can't hang out this weekend, bro. I got something else going on. Now, you know what? I'm, I'm busy. Like You don't owe them an, an excuse or an explanation unless they ask for it. But you, you got to be on this journey to getting better. You can't have crabs in a bucket pulling you down, you know? Yeah. And I've noticed also that it's sort of like a glorified, almost victim mentality to sit there and, yeah. like you said, shit talk about somebody else. Or again, people will be jealous of somebody else. If they see how successful you are, they don't see what you've gone through in the last 25 plus years, how many businesses you've had that have succeeded, come up, gone up and down, rode the undulations of what business is. So to get where you're at now, it's not like you just fell to the top of the mountain. It took a lot of falling down and it took a lot of relentlessness to get to that place. And if you don't have that, it's easy for them to say, well, it must be easy for, you know, for, for him to say that. Well, he started the same place you're at now. As a matter of fact, some of them may actually be in a better place because of technology than where you were when you first started your your journey. So I think that it's it's all it's all relative if they want to be honest with themselves or not. 
you know what's cool about being around the right people too, and, and of course you you'll echo this. I might know this from experience. Is there's not the same level of conversation and that weird like like I have friends. We'll, we'll go out to dinner, and there's Republicans, Democrats, white people, black people, uh, people who are this and that. And like nobody gives a shit. Like nobody's going to sit there and argue. Like if you voted for someone different than I did, I don't care. All right, what are we ordering? Like let's order steak and talk about something. <laughs> Yep. It makes you realize what's more important in life and how you don't want to waste time. Like, there's no time to waste arguing about shit. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I love that during that we had in Florida because, like you said, the the it was a very elevated conversation, and there was nobody that was like I, I didn't hear a disparaging word about anyone. Yeah, while we were there, everybody was. Well, after you left, other. me and Tony were talking. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are like that guy. I swear, yeah. I wish you get that guy out of here. So it took so long. It's interesting too. It. Being a corporate speaker, I was so used to always having, you go to a place, they're like, listen, we want an hour of content. We want 15 minutes of this, blah, 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 blah. And then with Tony, he's like, just come down and talk. And that was the first time that I've actually given a speech where I just went off of everything that he did because he was very magnanimous in the intro. And then I just took that baton and we just ran with it. And then I gave it back to him during the Q&A. And it was like, and he called me, you know, later on in the week, he's like, man, we got such a great feedback from that. He said, we need to keep working. Oh, dude, it was, it was such a great talk. It was awesome. I loved it. And, and you, like you said, it's the right people. Yeah. Like I've walked in a room where there's 3000 people that they've got their arms crossed and I'm going to have to basically like convince half of these people of what I'm talking about. And at the end of the day, you, you, you get there, but it's very different when you're just sitting there, you can see every single person and they're all listening and they all respect you and they all want to know what you have to say. Like you said, that's, that's the power of that dynamic of the group, right? Dude, I loved when you did this on stage. I'm so glad you brought this up because I don't forgot to tell you this. Where the hell was I? I, I must've been doing a podcast or something recently. No, I don't know what I was doing, but you did this that day. You said something, something good when you should have said, well, and I'm a grammar guy like you. And you go, and I also don't speak good. And I cracked up. And I don't know if a lot of people noticed it, but I always notice stuff like that. And the other day I did it. I was speaking somewhere or something and I said, good, when I should have said, well, and I, I used your line. I go, I also don't speak good. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth because there, there are grammar police that will attack you. We've on, we're on social media. You're like, really? I, I pour my heart and soul into this post and you're going to say, uh, well, technically it's were we are. And, oh my God. Really? That's what you got out of this? I'm yeah. telling you what's going on. And that was the thing too. Like I wasn't going to use the board and I was like, oh, there's a board here. Well, I can make this analogy better. That's where, when you're in that flow and you're able to do that. And like I said, I'm a TEDx speaker. I don't talk good. I don't speak good. I don't write good. <laughs> I just from Oklahoma, put it up there. But yeah. I've also noticed that, like you said, well, even Tony says it. He says, if I'm serious all the time, especially with like what he teaches about, like life and death and showing clips of people that are being attacked or shot or, or hurt. He has to have that humor. You have to interject yeah. that in there because oh it God, gives yeah. everybody permission to relax. And it kind of sets the stage. Now that they've relaxed and they laugh a little bit, now if I'm trying to put something up there that's really powerful, hopefully it gets their attention and they're more receptive as opposed to, again, the, the arms that are folded that are kind of like, what's this guy going to talk about? How is adversity a gift? And clearly he doesn't know what he's talking about if he thinks that. And then you tell your story and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe maybe there's something to this. I can talk about that all day. I think humor is so important in whatever you do. You know, use the example for what Tony does. I would have thought, and I assume most people think, oh, that guy's got to be a serious, mean, angry kind of guy for what he does, you know? And he's really one of the most lighthearted, kindest, sweetest, funniest dudes you could ever hang out with. And so anytime I do an event, you know, I'm not a deadly street fighter like Tony, but people, for whatever reason, see me and they sometimes assume that I'm maybe more serious and scary than I am or whatever. 
you know, my f- close friends will describe me as intense, but that's 50% of the time, 50% savage, 50% silliness. Like I'm joking around nonstop. I'll, I'll do anything to make my friends laugh, you know, but that does, you know, in, in a serious situation, if you see that people are intimidated or whatever, like you got to bring laughter to it. I mean, Eddie Murphy said, once you make somebody laugh really hard, you've got them forever. And I think it's just like laughter is the universal sign for safety and connection. So when a group of people laugh together, like all of a sudden they feel safer, they feel more connected. It's so powerful. So whatever I'm doing, I always bring a lot of humor and a lot of fun. Even before we get to the serious stuff, I make sure everyone is laughing until they cry. Throughout our, our events over the course of two days, the feedback, I always get messages after we do an event. People were like, I've never laughed that hard. And that, to me, that's huge. My, my wife came down and she, again, she's seen Tony, she's seen the interview and she's seen me be interviewed by him. And she said the same thing. She was like, because we get there and he said, you know, a lot of people talk about the flinch reflex. And, you know, if we all saw a saber tooth tiger outside right now, we'd all go, wow. He's like, but the thing is, I'm a little bit more aware of it. So I push you in front of the tiger and then I run and now I survive. <laughs> yeah. And she just started losing. She's like, wow, he's so dry. And he's just, and he's got that voice. So it just, yeah. it just deadpans so beautifully. Yep. That's why she loved that whole event. She said, just being there and being around everybody. She said it was incredible. So now when we were talking a little bit before about you started in this journey when you were 18 or well, you started when you were younger to, to better yourself, but there was something that happened to you when you were 19, when you were very sick and that forced you to really stop what you were doing and reevaluate. And there was my idea of the gift of adversity. There's no other way that you would have taken that time to do what you did in that, that time period. Can you tell us what that was and how that literally shaped the, the man that I'm speaking to today? First of all, I was, both my brother and I were always really sick as kids. I don't know why. He, he so much so that he was held back from school be, uh, for a year because he missed so much school. Like just every month we were sick. Like not like, you know, crushed, but he, he was worse than I was. So, you know, I got to have a sit down with my mom at some point. Like, what were you doing when you were pregnant with us? What is going on? Because we were sick so much. Like, it was like every six to eight weeks, I'd miss like two to three days of school. And then during college, so around the time that this happened, I was partying. You know, now now you and I know what it takes to keep your immune system strong and how not to get sick. I didn't know that at the time. So I'm partying. I'm drinking 40s all the time. I'm skipping class. I'm eating junk food. Lo and behold, so, so I get home for Christmas break and I'm in the gym and like I would do like five reps and I, it felt like I just ran a mile. Like I was so out of breath and so tired. And this happened the next day. And then I kept getting worse and I'm like, oh, I'll be fine, you know? <laughs> so then like by the third or fourth day, I called the doctor and I go, I should probably come in. Something's not right. And they all oh, were super booked. Here, just get a Z pack at the pharmacy. You'll be fine. The thing is too, like nowadays, most people know not to just get on prescription drugs all the time. But you remember what it was like. I don't know if it was like that where you, but in the Northeast, everyone I know, you had a sniffle. You were going to the pharmacy and getting on a prescription medication. My mom was always like, oh my God, you're going to get sick. You know, so we would always be on stuff. So they gave me Zithromax, Z-Pack, and I take that for a couple of days. And I'm getting worse and worse and worse. And I call them up like, uh, I'm pretty sure I should come in. I'm like near death. So I go in and they're like, oh, you're really near death. Dude, you got to get to a heart and lung specialist immediately. And I was like, oh, all right, well, can I go home and do this? No, 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 no. You have to go straight there. So I go there. My mom comes with me. The guy goes, dude, we got to perform emergency surgery on you immediately. And I'm like, oh, like, you know how that is. You're like, oh, can I go home and do some stuff and get some other clothes? I don't know. You just don't want to go to the hospital for emergency surgery. So they rush me. He goes, get the nurse in here. Get, get an ambulance here immediately. They rush me to the hospital, the same hospital I was born in. 
And I get there, the doctor comes running in. It, it literally felt like they had a railroad tire. This was the pain. Like they numbed me out, but there's no way you could not feel this. And it felt like he was hammering a railroad tie into my lungs. And because of the, the nature of it, I had to be sitting upright. So I'm sitting upright, like on these painkillers, but it's not doing much. And my mom says she could remember my face to this day. She was like heartbroken because I was in so much pain that I was delirious. I didn't, it was just crazy. So they drill into my a hole in my back. I had a scar like this for years. You can probably still see a tiny bit of it. They drill into my back and they drain out, which looked like a, a bottle of scotch, like this brown fluid this big. And the guy goes, dude, if you didn't come see me today, you, your lungs would have filled and you would have drowned. You would have been dead. I was like, wow, that's crazy. So I had tuberculosis, which I had, <sighs> you know, I'd never heard of anyone getting. Like since Doc Holiday, I never knew anyone got tuberculosis anymore. And then so I had to go home. Uh, no, so I stayed in the hospital for probably a week or something. And then I had to go home and stay home for three months. Like I had to be in bed and just on the couch for three months. But, you know, to, to your point about adversity and, you know, how it shaped my life, during that three months, I ordered every single book on training ever, every VHS tape on training ever. You know, there's no internet or anything, or maybe there was, but I, I didn't have a computer or anything. I just spent every waking hour studying this stuff, reading this stuff. So then I got my first, my first couple of certifications, took them. And finally, by that summer, I started training people. And the craziest thing is like, I didn't have any business acumen. I didn't have much charisma or anything that should, you know, help you grow a business rapidly. But by the end of the summer, for whatever reason, I was on pace and I was like, wow, in 12 months, I could be making six figures at like 20. This is crazy. So I transferred back home and went to school and started training people. And then that, that was just like my life for the next couple of years. And then I took every dime that I made, saved it invested into getting a thousand square foot space in a basement that was literally underground and uh, started the gym. And then for the next several years, put every single dime back into just buying equipment for the gym, everything. We never did a single second of marketing, never paid for marketing. It was all word of mouth. And then we became like, I was the number one go-to spot in like a 20 minute uh, radius. And I had every Every kid that held their high school rushing record, the stolen base record, scoring title, like you name it. Like I was rushing with athletes. And so that was my life for the next 12 years, like 12 hours a day on the gym floor. You know, just that, that was it really just continuing to grow that. No, and that was the beauty of it because there may not have been another time in your life where you would have taken three or four months to just solely focus on, yep. like you said, all of this literature, looking at all of this saying volume isn't the answer, intensity is. Right. Recovery, yeah. allowing the recovery is so key. That was part one of my interview with Jay Ferugia, master fitness coach, host of the Renegade Radio podcast, and Transformation King. You can hear part two of the interview on the next episode of Octanon Verba, where Jason returns to discuss why it's difficult to see your own blind spots, the key questions to consider before hiring a coach, and how you can break free from your own limiting beliefs. You can learn more about Jay by following him on social media. And to learn more about his Relentless 90 challenge, go to relentless90.com. Until next time, live a life of actions and not words. Live a life of Okta Nonverba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap.
Live your life based on actions, not words.